Hey, Green Future Growers. Welcome to Season 4. I'm your host, Jackie Marie Beyer. I'm here to help you create, grow, and enjoy your own organic oasis. I hope you'll subscribe for free on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing. Yep, and I am not well-funded in any way, shape, or form, or funded at all, so. <laughs> I hear you, so I commend you for your work and oh, your efforts. Thank and you. Talking about gardening and, and um, yeah, question for you, how did you, how did you begin your podcast? Um, oh, it's kind of funny. So I really, truth be told, I thought I was going to webinar on fire, and I was going to learn, I listened to John Lee Dumas, who, um, has a show called Entrepreneurs on Fire. And I thought I was going to learn how to do webinars. And my husband was going to teach people how to garden. Because at first I was like, well, anybody even listen to a garden show who's going to, you know, don't you want to see what's going on? Why would you want to? But um, I don't know. Here I am seven years in, you know, what's amazing about my show are my guests like you who teach all of us. Because I originally started out, I used to say, I'm the organic eater. I had a brown thumb. I could barely keep a geranium alive. Um, but since then, since my show, and especially last summer, I have really like um, learned a ton, just like my listeners. And I pretty feel pretty confident. Like I, if I had to, I could feed an entire classroom full of kids. That being said, I was just telling my last guest, like last year, I really overdid it and planted way too much stuff. And I don't want to be responsible for that much food again. And so I'm going back to growing more flowers and and herbs and the things that are way less maintenance and not so picky and plus my kale like no matter what i did like there were three nights where i forgot to cover my kale with row cover and it still got like more bugs last year than i think it ever has like i don't know if because i was covering it and it was looking great that then the three nights that I forgot to put the row cover back over it the bugs just attacked it like there was no tomorrow or what happened but I'm really frustrated with the whole kale bug thing so I'm gonna let my husband go back to taking care of the kale (laughs) you mean aphids the aphids getting it or was it the uh, uh, cabbage cabbage worms I, I, to be honest with you, I don't know. So my husband generally, he grows what I call the mini farm and kind of, we kind of have like limited water. And so he usually waters in the morning and I go in the evenings and I'm not the best at looking at things anyway. But one guest that I did talk to once, she's like, well, go down there in the morning and look and see. And there were cabbage worms. There were little green worms yeah. all over the leaves. Yeah. Um, but that was not last year that I looked, so I don't know. I just know they were cold. <laughs> like I got less less kale last year than I ever have. That's interesting. So yeah. After all I did to try to protect it and let it grow, like it, it usually like because I've talked before about like I don't usually care if there's holes in my kale or my Swiss chard, but like if we we're ever going to go to market, I would want it to look, you know, a lot more presentable. Um, and this was like so bad I couldn't even eat it. So if that helps you, that's (laughs) kind of like, I got into podcasting because I was taking this class. So I'm an elementary teacher by trade and I was taking this like, um, leadership class, you know, for like, you have to keep up your education credits, whatever for your license. And, um, we had to listen to Michael Hyatt, 
who has a podcast called This Is Your Life on Leadership. And that's kind of how I got into podcasting. And then I started listening to John Lee Dumas. And then, I don't know, I just ended up with like a garden podcast. <laughs> I don't that, know. I do that is so interesting. Eat organic food. And I do love podcasting. And, right, right. Um, and here I am. And like I said, just we've all learned so much. And I, I've loved meeting my guests. I've loved meeting my listeners and 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 sharing these stories i used to always like i always wanted to work for rodale's organic gardening magazine and and do like um like i love doing graphic design work and like like that is when i am like in my total like zone like um because i do like the newsletter for i I, i'm like um i've always wanted to be a children's book illustrator and for the society of children's book writers and illustrators i do their newsletter every season whatever it is once a quarter and like when I'm working on that, it's just like my favorite, like I like hours go by and it seems like five minutes. Like I just love like moving things around and changing backgrounds and fonts and colors and making things fit on a page and adding graphics. And I always wanted to work for Rodale's Organic Gardening Magazine. And then they, and they sold it. <laughs> yeah, to Hearst. Yeah. Anyway, Travel. actually, they bought everything but Organic Gardening Magazine. And I don't know what happened now. Like, I did see one super fat, almost look like a book issue um, at Natural Grocer last winter. But as far as I know, there is no more Organic Gardening Magazine. You know, like they kept up with Runner's World and Men's Health and Prevention. And they bought every other magazine. You could still order a subscription, but I'm pretty sure there's still no organic gardening magazine subscription no um, yeah no. i did see the one issue in the store that was like so fat it was like a book like made the farmer's almanac anyway oh anyway, yeah my listeners have repeatedly told me jackie shut up we don't want to hear from you um they <laughs> hear about you so, I, that is so funny i'm sure they want to hear from you <clears throat> they repeatedly like have said quit interrupting your guests don't talk so much we they don't so anyway uh but that being said when i do like a rant or like i get on the mic just like while i'm driving my car and talk about something those are some of my most downloaded episodes so i don't know but anyway emily let me introduce you and we'll learn about pastthepistol.com and your book ronell and and all those kind of things wonderful wonderful where are you located i'm in northern california Northern California, awesome. Near the coast, yeah. And you're in Montana. Yeah. Right? Up Are by you... the Canadian border. Oh, you're up north. Okay. Right. We're just west of Glacier National Park. Oh, it must be beautiful. Yeah. Oh my God, it is. I I am so thankful. Like I tell everybody, any job I've ever had, you have to double your wages just for getting to live in this beautiful place. Mm, yeah, I can imagine. That being it's... said, if you don't like the cold weather, this is not the place for you. <laughs> I like I like the cold. We used to live in the mountains. It's not it's not the the mountain west, but we lived up in the Sierra Nevadas for years and high mountain desert and it was um I really love the seasons. Yeah. Yeah, so although right now we're in ice season, I I would rather have snow than ice, but <laughs> whatever. I have a four-wheel drive with studded snow tires, so I'm not complaining too much. Yeah. All right, here we go. Um, welcome to the Green Organic Garden. It is Tuesday, January 25th, 2022. I have an awesome guest on the line. She wrote a book I know you're going to want to get. You're going to want to leave it a five-star review on Amazon. 
It's called Grow Now, Go Beyond Organic, Rewild Your Land, Sequester Carbon, and Support Biodiversity. So here to talk to us from pastthepistol.com is Emily Murphy. So welcome to the show, Emily. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. It's one of my favorite subjects. Awesome. Well, Emily, I just got off the line with a rock star millennial. And so I'm going to ask you right off the bat, were you born between 1980 and 1995? <laughs> no, okay. no, I wasn't. But I, I um, was a teen in the 80s, if that helps. Okay, cool. Well, um, Go ahead and tell listeners a little bit about yourself. You said you're in Northern California. I'm in, yep. So I'm in Northern California. I grew up on the coast and I happen to live by the coast now. Uh, and coastal Northern California is its own microclimate if anyone's visited here or is from here. Uh, but I've lived all over Northern California, not all over, but I've also lived in the mountains and, and pull from the various regions I've lived in for uh, my my writings and my teachings around growing and, and my struggles and my challenges around growing as well because we all have them and um, uh, and so it's it brings a you know living in the mountains where it's zone it behaves like zone 5a 5b uh, is in stark contrast to living in coastal northern California which is basically zone nine ish depending upon the microclimate and the and the how northern or southern you are in that region. Hey, you have your own podcast? Oh, oh were you, you know just searching? You love? Yeah, I was looking at your website. Um, somehow I missed that when I connected with you. So tell listeners a little bit about that. Yeah, so the Grow What You Love podcast was born in 2018, late 2018, no, 2019. And... I got it started as a follow-up to the Grow What You Love book, which was published in 2018 with Firefly Books. And I really wanted to, to continue this conversation around food and growing and nature and meeting people who were, you know, incorporated growing as part of their lives, but they might not consider themselves first as gardeners. So. I spoke with musicians and artists, and I spoke with a woman who actually has a, a natural skincare line, and she grows a lot of the ingredients for her for her products. That's botany skincare. I spoke to a number of people, and, and with each conversation, I went to that person's home or garden or shop, uh, wherever it might be. We would prepare a meal or have a conversation in the garden, and it was very much based on location. I wanted to create an experience for people. And um, then that was 2019 and then 2020 happened. <laughs> and I had to shelf that because it was dependent upon the, you know, the on location part, which um, with the pandemic that was no longer possible. And around the same time, end of 2019, beginning of 2020, I went into contract to write Grow Now, the book you were mentioning, uh, and that became all consuming between writing the book, my regular work, which is design work and photography and the pandemic. Um, that was a lot, there was a lot going on in 2020. So I shelved the, the podcast temporarily. Um, so 
when you say, do you mean like graphic design or garden design? Garden design. Yeah, garden design. Oh, well, tell us a little bit about that. So I, I'm, my education base stems from my childhood experiences of growing gardens and being in gardens with my grandparents and my, my parents and other mentors in my community. Um, my grandmother lived on a homestead. Um, my parents lived in a college town. So I had this wonderful uh, experience of living between places. Uh, followed that with studying ethnobotany. It was seemed like a natural transition because I was already deeply infatuated with nature and plants and and I really wanted to figure out, well, what is the human connection with plants? And what is ethnobotany? Is so, is? yeah, ethnobotany is the study of the human relationship of, with plants. And, and it can, that particular study, like studying medicine, can have its own uh, air, specific areas of study. And um, my particular focus was really understanding, again, this broader connection with nature and specifically plants. And within that, I studied environmental ecology, social ecology, taxonomy, soil science, um, uh, physics, you know, that, that whole larger spectrum, but really it was the, the human component that pulled together this um, natural environmental component. And that's what I take into my, my work today. And that then that then became the launch pad for okay how am i going to how am i going to actually bring my learnings and my studies to fruition and and helping people and uh, and creating landscapes that are in in concert with nature and that's when i started studying uh, garden design i actually went to the california school of garden design and was certified in garden design there and that is essentially one of my day jobs. I wear many hats and all of it, again, is focused towards this human connection with nature. And for me, uh, gardens are one of, for most of us, I should say, gardens are one of our most immediate touch points with nature. They're the places closest to home, whether you have a garden or not. Um, those of us who are lucky to have a home garden, I'm sure understand this, but even if you have a set of containers or you live in the city and your nearest garden is a community garden or a park nearby or the health strip or you know a tree lawn uh, between your, your sidewalk and your street, um, they're all valuable spaces. And so in my work, I try to rewild these spaces. I, I share ideas on rewilding and, and growing good, healthy food, um, flowers, native plants in these spaces to um, really do all the things that I talk about in Grow Now, which is how we can save our health communities and planet one garden at a time. Okay, but I guess like, so like, like a client says, I want you to come to my house and design my garden. Like, I guess like, that's what I'm wondering. Like, what is like the everyday, like an example of like what actually garden design means? Okay. Yeah. So as a garden designer, it, the scope of work depends upon, of course, the needs of the client or community. And oftentimes it can be 
I have a blank slate. I need to start a garden from scratch. Can you please come help me conceptualize what this could be and how it would look? And then I ask a number of questions to really get to the heart of the story that the person really wants to tell with their landscape. And what I mean by story is that our homes and and uh, the things we surround ourselves with are really a reflection of who we are as people. And our gardens can can do that as well. They can be that as well while being of service to the community as these ecological systems. And so I listen to the client, I ask lots of questions. And from there, we create a design approach that can or may or may not include hardscaping, uh, may simply include a planting plan. And I, um, I, so I, I do garden design and what garden designers do is they can come up with these plans from, from, um, tip to tail from, you know, the root of the radish to the, to the leaves of the radish, so to speak, um, where it's the, the entire process, or it can be one component part of the process, because many people are actually starting with um, some, some form of a garden, and it might be a garden renovation that's in need, and so then I can give recommendations for that, and one of, one of the, um, one of the areas I tend to focus on is educating people as to how their gardens can better serve them and their their health the health of their family and how their gardens can better serve the health of their community and therefore again uh, the global community because what is local is global and what we do on our home plots matters and and so i try to infuse that into all of my work so that um, something that might seem mundane is actually quite meaningful. And, and, um, and you would know, you mentioned before we jumped on our call, I'm sure you understand having been a teacher, how important these ideas are for helping students and people understand the meaning behind whatever it is you might be teaching. I like to think of this conversation in some ways as, as those, those, I'm sure you remember as a student yourself that the, the days of learning algebraic equations or, you know, math in general, like, okay, how am I actually going to use this in real, the real world? Why, why am I learning this? What's the point? And, and we can translate that, that same, those same questions to anything we do in life to really get to a deeper meaning or a sense of purpose. And um, that's, in a nutshell, what I try to do with gardens and growing because they can be really powerful places for healing and discovery and joy and growing some of your own food, whatever it might be that is your goal or your story. And, and I try to uplift that to a whole other level. What, uh, like, is there anything that you feel like, like a common thread that like you wish like all your clients, like if they would just do this one thing would be like a game changer? Yeah, so there's a few things. So there's, uh, to that question, off the top of my head, I would say yes, there's uh, amending your soil with compost, caring for soil with a no dig approach. That would be one of the first things to consider, at least moving towards. Uh, the soil biology is what feeds all our plants and the biodiversity above ground. And so whether you're growing a vegetable garden or you're growing a flower garden or native plants, um, caring for soil 
will actually decrease the amount of water you need to use. It'll, you know, so increased water holding capacity because you are protecting the soil ecology. You're protecting the organic matter in soil. By adding compost, you're actually adding organic matter to soil. And this feeds the microbiology of the soil um, in ways that then feed our plants because of the connection with plants and soil and nature. And then because the soil ecosystem is thriving and robust, um, there's this push-pull between biodiversity above ground and below ground. And this translates into then su supporting biodiversity above ground. One of the gardeners added, an adage of gardeners you may have heard or some of your listeners may have heard is this comment of what, what is above, so too below, or vice versa, what is below, so too above. And we can assume that if your plants look healthy above ground, then there's probably, there's probably some good things happening below the soil, that, that um, the soil ecosystem's probably pretty healthy. And if your plants are struggling above ground, you can assume that there's some larger issues at work. And that is true with soil ecology. And if we feed the soil and take care of soil ecology, it will inherently uh, um, feed the, again, the biodiversity above ground and allow our plants to be healthier with less work from us because they'll be less stressed and they'll, they'll have all of the, um, all of the, what's the word I'm pulling for? Uh, everything they need to thrive and grow. So there's supporting soil with composting and the no dig approach, which I talk about in Grow Now, my book coming out February 1st. And then uh, planting natives. Native plants are essential for, uh, again, supporting biodiversity. And why do I keep talking about biodiversity? Well, at the moment, the UN has released a report um, and that this is supported in um, research across the globe telling us that we are facing as we know I'm sure your listeners know this too or they've heard it on the news we're facing um, the sixth mass extinction and with this comes the loss in the coming decades of nearly a million plant and animal species and that's 25 percent of all all the plant and animal species on earth which is so huge and massive and scary and uh but when we support biodiversity it doesn't at need home to be. no it right right it doesn't need to be and i mean it, it does it it does i think the alarm bell needs to sound loud and clear so that we are encouraged to act but we don't need to walk down this road and when we treat our own homescapes, landscapes, cityscapes, wherever your listeners might um, find themselves, as these centers for biodiversity, these biodiversity hubs, then we're fostering biodiversity at home. You might find that there are insects coming to visit that haven't come in a long time uh, or may have thought to be extinct, uh, regionally extinct in your area, whether that's certain types of bees or butterflies. It might be different in Montana where you have these large landscapes um, where nature uh, moves through the landscape uninhibited. But uh, when but when we're looking at this situation globally, not everyone lives in these in these expansive landscapes. And so looking no, at- and we have huge problem. Like I've been noticing just on our road, these beetles are like killing the trees and you can literally see the bark 
on the driveway on the way home and i'm so worried because i'm like it just keeps getting closer to my house so no we we're experiencing here just as anywhere right right so it, there's some imbalance that's happening most likely due to climate the climate crisis and any number of yes. factors but by supporting ecology then we have an opportunity for more balanced ecology which is only good because the the more biodiversity you have the more ecologically rich and biodiverse the greater community which then could help offset or counterbalance something like this beetle infestation that you're witnessing so planting planting natives is a really easy way to support biodiversity and help mitigate species extinction at a regional level and what happens what i think is really cool what happens is when you begin to embark on this really simple process of caring for soil and planting for biodiversity, such as growing uh, natives. Uh, and you take the time to pay attention. And as gardeners, part of being a good gardener is just paying attention. And well, what happened? Why didn't that grow? Oh, well, it died this year. Maybe I watered it too much. I'll try doing this next year. Or, oh, it, it was eaten. I wonder what ate it. And those are all those are all good questions, and those are places we start. And and as you begin this process, and then involve yourself in this process um, through time, uh, these discoveries become more and more self-evident. And um, I think then this larger narrative, this conversation, can grow, which can only benefit this larger narrative that we're having globally with the climate crisis and species extinction, which are things I talk about and grow now, which might seem like a big leap to your listeners, but in reality, they're very much interconnected. And then the third thing I would suggest is planting perennials. So not all native plants are perennial. Uh, perennials benefit our communities, our plant communities in our gardens, because one, if they're, if they're vegetables or they're perennials that provide fruit, whether they're fruit trees or artichokes or asparagus, they're plants you can plant once and you can benefit from year after year after year with minimal effort. That's a huge win. The, and if they're, they may or may not be edibles, they may be plants that are native or um, ecologic, what I like to call these, these um, high-powered uh, non-native plants that still have a lot of ecological benefits. But what perennials do is they provide a food source to the soil ecosystem, a continual food source year after year and day after day. And, and so that's part of feeding the soil ecology. Um, and that's part of the regenerative process of growing. And so I actually consider myself to be a regenerative organic gardener which looks at these principles that I was just referencing, which is growing um, uh, with a no dig approach, uh, tilling your soil as little as possible, disturbing your soil as little as possible, applying compost to the soil surface, growing organically, skipping pesticides and herbicides and synthetic fer fertilizers, uh, which is easier to do with this process, uh, planting natives, planting perennials, uh, um, it's just this really simple set of principles that allow us to grow better gardens that then grow, literally begin growing themselves with less work from us and that benefit um, our, our families and our communities. Well, how big is your garden where you are now? 
So I'm really lucky. We moved a year ago. It was part of my uh, 2020 madness that <laughs> made it difficult for me to continue with my own podcast. Uh, we moved, uh, I guess, yeah, one year ago in January uh, into a property that has a half acre. But before that, I was gardening in um, in a community garden. I had a community garden plot that was nine by 15. Uh, that was my box. I was working with a borrowed garden uh, and I was working with a deck garden. All of those gardens are featured in my first book, Grow What You Love. Uh, and that was where I grew. That, and before that, I, I, was actually, I was actually in education myself for a period of time. And um, I was lucky enough to run some school gardens and uh, we had 22 raised beds and one of them was a big garden. Uh, so I, I worked in a in number of gardens, but those were the gardens I worked with before moving to this property. And now if, if anyone follows me um, at Pass the Pistil, P-I-S-T-I-L, is in part of a flower, uh, on Instagram or Twitter or, or Pinterest, you might see that I've been working slowly this last year on my garden renovation. The garden here was a complete blank slate. Nothing was on it. It was basically all lawn that had been abandoned and with a perimeter of trees. Most of those trees are non-native, they're pittosporums and a few other things, um, but mostly pittosporums. And I'm slowly beginning to replace some of those trees with native trees. And I put in a vegetable garden and I'm beginning this week a process of creating a meadow garden. So I'm really lucky and blessed to have as much space as I do to put to the test the ideas that I write about and grow now, this regenerative organic process. So what is something that grew well this summer or last year? So here, uh, vegetable wise, we were talking about kale before we hopped on, um, on, on your show. I actually did really well with kale. Now that could change. Uh, but I found, because I found that, that sometimes when you grow something, it can take um, insects like aphids a while to find, oh, hey, there's kale growing here where it wasn't growing before. It you know, hasn't been imported. They haven't been blown in by, by a neighbor's garden. But my kale grew really well. I have these kale trees that are as tall as me, and I absolutely love them. Um, oh, I had, I know, I was crazy, and I, and I grew some incredible tomatoes. Uh, if anyone knows coastal California, I'm pretty close to the ocean. It can be difficult to grow tomatoes of any size other than sweet 100s, pear tomatoes, early girls. Uh, and this year, gosh, I grew one tomato that was so delicious. I grew, grew some black crims, which was my first time growing some uh, larger heirloom tomatoes, but I grew this one tomato called indigo apple, and they were so good. Uh, they were so prolific too and just so tasty. I grew some midnight romas and a whole bunch of pear tomatoes because I love them uh, and some paste tomatoes. Next year, I'm going to grow more paste tomatoes. One of my goals is to grow enough tomatoes that I can can and keep enough tomatoes for use throughout the winter so I don't have to buy canned tomatoes. 
if anyone knows when they read the a label a can it says bpa free it means because it that that's listed there because the cans are lined with plastic and tomatoes are acidic so you can imagine some of that plastics leaching into our tomatoes which is why that's one of my goals is to decrease the amount of plastic my family's consuming and using uh, for for things like winter soups so if I can grow my enough of my own tomatoes, I can, I can um, ensure that they're not in cans or in glass. Um, but God, yeah, you got me wondering now because so that's been like one of the things I grew last year. And what did I do? I froze them all, and they're in like plastic yogurt containers, and they're in plastic in my freezer. And now I'm wondering, like, is there like? you know did i just like defeat the whole person <laughs> now it's like sitting in a freezer in a plastic you, container <laughs> so so my under i i actually i think that's okay that's, and yeah i'm not too worried about it. yeah I, I think that's okay and the reason i say that is one you're, you're reusing plastic that would otherwise get just get recycled or go to the dump and two my understanding is that plastics are worse or they leach more when heated and that's, I think that's out there in the research. Um, or when foods that are acidic um, have an opportunity to sit in them for a long time. But in a frozen environment, that is rendered basically inert. So if it's tomatoes, whatever it might be, the, you know, the, the plastic isn't nearly as bad as when it's heated or just sitting in something. Cool. I feel better. Because I've been like digging into them and like digging one out like once a week just like really lately and I was like hmm anyway uh so how about something you're excited so I guess that would go under something you're excited to try new this year is like a paste tomato is that it or just more yeah paste tomatoes or yeah more paste tomatoes and I have time we literally moved last January and there was only so much I could do so this year I'm looking forward to putting in more perennial fruit trees uh, I'm lucky enough to grow um, citrus I'm adding a bear's lime bear's lime if anyone has had a bear's lime mm. they are incredible they're truly remarkable they're yellow when they're ripe uh so that's a little bit deceiving i guess they're kind of like a mexican lime or a persian lime they're but they're just so flavorful so i'm growing one of those i'm going to add a kiwi vine and a, a bunch more berries i really i just get so much satisfaction out of these again these plants that are perennial that keep providing fruit or produce year after year and i um i've always wanted to have my own mini mini to me berry farm not that it will be a farm on any on any scale but it will hopefully be enough berries for my family to enjoy um, through the berry season uh, raspberries blueberries and some thornless blackberries uh, maybe some boysenberries loganberries so we'll see how far i get with that and I'm, some of that might get pushed off to 2023 I know how that goes. That's been like another, my listeners know, I've been struggling for four years now to try to like get blueberries to grow. And then um, last year I did get the raspberries to take off, but we've also struggled with strawberries forever here. I just, um, but yeah, berries are just invaluable. I feel like so much of what you said is near and dear to my heart and especially the perennials. Like I often think if I write another garden book, it will be um, about, um, 
like pollinator borders and 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 border and perennial fruit type of um, a lot of the same things. Anyway, how about something that didn't go the way you thought it was going to? Oh yeah, aren't there so many of those things that happen every year? I definitely had more than my share. We had like so many problems last year that we've never had before. You mentioned that your kale had all kinds of bugs. Yeah, and then my husband got like these weird bugs. Like he's always grown green beans, and he didn't harvest any. Like he just, they were so covered in a bug. And like in his mini farm, was weird. And then we also got um, critters came in. He had moles and voles that we've never had before. But anyway, what yeah. Was your challenge? Um, gosh. Besides just getting the garden started um what has been the that challenge could be, that could be it yeah <laughs> i i've had challenges i think my challenge is not having enough time i would love to be able i still on my list is getting a three bin composter in i have a worm bin in uh comp composting more i wish i had composted more last year but with moving there's only so much a person can do and i was still finishing my book which is hugely time consuming that's the, what I was like. I was thinking, I was like, oh my God, you got a book done. I mean, that alone is just a huge feat in itself. And then all your other work that it sounds like you've got going on. And I'm excited to hear that a three bin composter because I just, I'm so passionate about composting and I get frustrated when people are anti composting. Yeah, it's I such an easy more than I would think. In, in, Interesting. Well, I think that people can, I think it's easy to get discouraged with composting if you don't get this rich earthy compost within three or four months of trying to hot compost and, and uh, something that a friend said to me, who was one of those people, uh, he, he was resistant to composting, he tried it once and, and not he didn't fail miserably but it was definitely challenging and it, and the challenges caused him to rethink does he really want to compost you know do i really want to do this it's really hard and a friend of his said to him you know robert just think how good you'll be at composting if you just try it for a year and you have an opportunity then to work through three or four batches of compost if it's hot compost uh, depending upon your climate of course because really hot composting is best for the warmer months but uh, just think how good you'll be at it if you stick with it for one year and give it a go and allow yourself to experiment and fail. And I think through that year, just like earlier when I was talking about creating this conversation, when we allow ourselves to create this conversation with growing you know, our plants, creating compost, interacting with nature, asking ourselves, who's visiting? What insects are visiting today? What birds are passing through? Oh, maybe I should cover my new, new lettuces so those don't get, neat, don't go, get eaten by, you know, the finches that are passing through or the robins, whoever it might be. Um, actually, it wouldn't be the robins. It would probably be the towhees that are eating your lettuces. <laughs> um, uh, then you can you can really start this larger narrative with your relationship with plants and nature and and compost and I I think that's where things get really interesting actually is with compost because it's this full circle incredible um, way of looking at our gardens you know what comes out of the garden goes into the compost if we don't eat it 
whether it's green waste or, or the tips and tails of plants that we're preparing in our kitchens but don't get eaten. It goes in the compost along with browns and greens, maybe it's leaves, maybe it's bits of cardboard and paper, uh, and it goes in there and it makes new soil that then you can put back into your garden. And it's just really, that's how life should be. We should have these compost hubs in every community so that it can be regionally based. And I mean, that alone, composting alone would be a huge uh, solution for the climate crisis. Because if food, food waste by itself, I'm sure you've heard this, this statistic, but if food waste were a country, it would be the third largest climate driver after China and the US. And if we're just composting our food waste, I mean, that, I mean, that's incredible how much greenhouse gas emissions we can decrease and, and then also how much compost goes back into our, into our ecosystems and our yards and our landscapes. Um, which then helps sequester carbon and has all these other benefits besides just being in touch with soil and nature. I mean, that alone is, is good for us. So anyway, I could talk well, about that forever. Back to like what you started out your whole beginning, you were talking about, you know, it's all about the soil and it just, it just frustrates me to know. <laughs> um, because it is like, you know, people like are always asking me like, yeah, but what can I go to the store and buy on the shelf in the, you know, fertilizer aisle and I'm just like don't save your scraps like <laughs> uh, anyway um so if we were going to get to the root of things what is it called getting to the root of things which is kind of like my lightning round in like a podcasting world um do you have a least favorite activity to do in the garden that something you got to kind of force yourself to get out there and do um deadheading sometimes yeah deadheading I have to you know with with anything maybe like if someone's new to running or someone's new to I don't know anything it doesn't have to be something new something that you don't want to do it takes a little bit of time like walking uphill it takes a little bit of time to get your stride once I once I get in the process of pruning and deadheading for I like pruning actually it's the deadheading once I start I'm deadheading for about 10 minutes then I can get into a groove kind of becomes meditative but that first 10 minutes is painful that is like running the first mile <laughs> and then once you get into the groove after the first mile exactly then you're like okay now i'm in the groove you kind of becomes meditative and how about on the flip side what's your favorite activity to do oh um I kind of like all of it except for the deadheading. Honestly, I'm, I, I do. Really say composting. I do. I do really. <laughs> I really enjoy the composting. Um, I have a worm bin as well. I enjoy. I enjoy that process. I enjoy harvesting, of course, and that's kind of the the fruits of your labor. I enjoy the process of garden making. Uh, I enjoy just being in the garden. I mean, being in the garden. It's it's it makes it's like medicine. It's like church, um, just going and tending this or that and fussing and moving volunteers around, uh, and planting new seeds and, uh, staking plants that are tipping over, whatever it might be. I just, I just love that process. And it, um, it's like, like anything I think that's good for us. Um, 
being in nature. I've talked about that a bunch. Uh, you know, it, it decreases your stress level, increases all those, all those uh, good mood hormones that start firing and, and everything becomes peaceful. What's the best gardening advice you've ever received? Best gardening advice I've ever received. Well, I'm sure there's more than one tidbit, but uh, this might even not be related to gardening in particular, but some of the best I, advice I received was to be generous. And oh, I like that. yeah, I just, it was, it was that advice came to me from another gardener. Her name's Fran Soren. She's an author as well. And she was in uh, TV and, I don't know if she was a journalist, but she was mostly in TV. And uh, she said, Emily, the best advice I can give you is to be generous. And I think that as gardeners, it's important to remember, it's not all about us. It's all about, yeah, I want my tomatoes. I, I would like more blooms. Uh, I, but if I leave blooms, say I'm growing cut flowers, do I need to cut all of them? No. Can I leave some of them? Yeah. Do I need to make the garden perfectly tidy at the end of each fall? No, no, I can leave, I can leave habitat for insects and wildlife and, yes. and, you know, insects that need pithy stems and, or birds that need seeds. Uh, that if they're left there, I give that generosity and forgive my possible need. I'm using myself as my, as my um, scapegoat, but to make everything perfectly tidy and be generous with nature, uh, there's there's something wonderful in that. So, and that's not that's not the only way to be generous, of course. I one of the things I'm setting up soon is a, a lending library for seeds, a little seed library. I produce so many seeds, and I'm constantly trying to give them away. Um, so that will be one way to be generous with the community. Uh, Have you seen those? Like you know those little like book libraries that are like on corners like it's like a little box with a glass door like a seed library yeah. like that is that what you're talking about yeah that's exactly what i'm talking awesome. about i think the biggest challenge with a seed library here and maybe where you are as well and probably for most people is the heat of the summer and possibly just not putting any seeds in it in, in the summer unless they're seeds that people can use right away so they don't turn but i think it's kind of a fun it's one of my experiments this year to see how it goes you could probably put it like on a north side of a building maybe or something. I mean, yeah, north side. Where we are, you wouldn't have to worry about, you know, if you put it like on the north side of a building or something. Mm -hmm. That's a good, good thing to think about because I kept thinking about putting one on the back of where those little libraries are. And so I guess you wouldn't want to put it where it would be hot in the summer. Yeah, not in the direct sun. I do have a place on my, uh, by my front gate where there's some, tree limbs hanging down and that could be a perfect spot just kind of under those tree limbs but still where you could see it if you're walking by how about a favorite tool if you had to move and could only take one tool with you what could you not live without <laughs> oh that's really hard because um you need clippers or some kind of shear right i use my loppers and my clippers often and the mm -hmm. And then um, I actually use a pencil and a chopstick. That's kind of one of those tools that mm. it's kind of a non-standard tool that maybe I could 
double up on. I used pencils and chopsticks for small seedlings uh, that are tiny. Uh, typically, you'll see in gardeners' handbooks or That's advice. That's a great idea. Yeah, you'll you'll see advice from YouTube or whomever, where not whomever, but wherever uh, people saying, okay, you know, if if they're just the seed leaves you see the the plants, the, the sprouts are too tiny to, to transplant. They're too tiny to move. In reality, if you pick up a seedling by its seed leaves, first tease out the roots with a pencil or chopstick very gently. It's just the right tool. And um, tease them out, lift the plant by its seed leaves. If you can imagine those two little leaves for most dicots that we grow, everything but corn, right, which is a monocot. Um, and then you you move it to wherever it's going to go, to its new home, to its new container. If you're potting it up where it can grow a little longer in your greenhouse or under your grow lights or wherever you're growing your seedlings, and you can use your pencil or your chopstick to make a little divot. You can pop it in and um, tuck the soil back in. I find that little tiny seedlings, if you're relying on your fingers, we just have a, a way of gumming up the works and breaking stems and leaves and things. So pencil, chopstick, that's one of my go-to tools. Uh, and for all that deadheading that I love so much, my clippers. Uh, I did do a lot of that last year. That's a great tip. My husband was always telling me about being gentle and transplanting them. How about a favorite recipe you like to cook or eat from the garden? Oh, Gosh, there's so many. Uh, one of the favorite things, my, my favorite recipes for summer is to make a mix and match pesto. So I always try to grow enough basil for pesto. Every year I plant more and more and more basil. I just like, wow, the summer garden can't have enough basil for me. Um, well, maybe because we eat it so much, not just in pesto, but in salads and everything else. Uh, but if I don't have enough basil for pesto, you know, I might put some basil in, you could put some parsley in, you could put some cilantro in, you could put leaves from greens like kale or, or chard even um, with your nuts and your oil. And if you choose to put cheese in, you know, Parmesan or something, um, mix that all up. You can never go wrong. Um, one of the recipes that I uh, kept falling back to this last summer was a uh, not a galette. I have a savory galette recipe in my Grow What You Love book, but this one is a tart with phyllo dough. And gosh, it's so simple and it's really light. And I, I fell back to that recipe quite a bit uh, because I was I grew so much zucchini. I grew so much zucchini. It was incredible. And I was so happy. Most people are like, oh no, there's too much zucchini. But I, I grow this one zucchini zucchini that I absolutely love. It's a Costata Romanesco. And it's the one with the mm, me too. The ripples in it. And when you cut it, yeah. it looks like Once a star. Those, it's hard to go back. It's, <laughs> it's hard to go back. I mean, they, they, they have they have this nuance of flavor. It's a tiny bit nutty. And then they're so beautiful. They're beautiful on the vine and you cut them open and they have that kind of star shape pattern. Gosh, they're just just stunning and they were prolific and I found every way I possibly could to cook them and I did give a lot of way uh, but boy I was determined to eat as many of them as I could and the tarts making a tart with zucchini and I would change the cheeses I'm 
I'm not afraid of cheese, um, whether it was goat cheese or uh, fancy Swiss cheese and uh, ricotta with maybe some of the tomatoes and basil from the garden. And you put that in a phyllo dough and pop it in the oven and it's so simple. Tastes so good with fresh salad. So simple. <laughs> Eat it for a couple days and make another one. Oh my gosh, that does sound awesome. I like those Romanescos too, because I feel like they make great zucchini noodles. And like, I made a lot of like, almost like a lasagna or like, basically it was just like um, slices of zucchini, like the long way, like the length of the zucchini with just tomatoes, a little Parmesan cheese, and then another layer. And just, I ate that all summer. Maybe some breadcrumbs, maybe not, depending on if I have breadcrumbs. Right, right. Um, you could yeah, leave out the I pasta. Romanesco. Yeah. I did. I totally didn't eat any pasta last summer as compared to other years. How about a favorite internet resource? Where do you find yourself surfing on the web? Oh, where do I find myself surfing on the web? Um, I wonder. Um, gosh, like for gardening advice? Um, or for anything for uh, cooking or for cooking writing or i don't know anything oh yeah yeah i okay so now that you've broadened it a little my i'm wrapping my mind around that um you know for garden design lately i have been uh inspired by the work of pa uldoff I'm probably mispronouncing his name, Udolf from uh, Denmark, Denmark, Netherlands. I'm not remembering what country right How now. How do you spell is, Udolf? I, am it's o I don't know good, who you're talking about. Good, good question. It's O-U-L-D-O-L-F. P-A is P-I-E-T. I'm a really bad speller unless I actually get a pencil in my hand and try writing it. So let me try writing it really quickly. Yep. P-I-E-T-O-U-L-D-O-L-F. And he is, he is, he's remarkable. If, if any of the listeners, anyone listening now has been to the Highline Park in New York City, uh, he is the mastermind behind that planting plan. And I believe much of the design as well, but definitely the planting plan. Um, and when you search him, you can see as many designs and he incorporates a naturalistic design which inherently kind of feeds into my um, urge to create ecological landscapes and to help others do that and he does it with such finesse and um, understanding of plants and design in general but i i've learned a lot from him not all the plants that he uses are appropriate for my region or my climate, but I think that's something everyone should consider. So he might be using a lot of Joe Pieweed, which is a great plant if you live in, say, New England, where there's a lot of summer rain and or there's a lot of wet areas, areas that stay wet through the summer or lots of lakes uh, where Joe Pieweed could grow up. But out here in the West, that's just not something I can grow. Uh, even if I wanted to, it's not native to here and it's summer dry. So I need to stick with summer dry plants, um, preferably natives again, but not all of them are natives. Uh, but still, 
you can take someone like Pierre Udolf's um, design work and adapt it to your own landscape and whatever plants might be ecologically appropriate for your region. So he's he's definitely one of the people I search for when I'm I need just a quick bit of oh I when I'm problem solving I need help with this what how me help me think through it and I'll look at some of his images and go oh okay yeah I can I can solve this problem. And it doesn't mean I'm replicating everything he does, but it definitely helps me think through the problems I'm facing and how I can solve them with plants and um, elevations and materials. Emily, so if I haven't said this yet, you are dropping golden seeds for my listeners. And just yeah. this interview has been just packed full of awesome information. So last one of the lightning round, quick question. How about a book you can recommend? Oh, besides you were two amazing books. Yes, I would love it if your readers would, of course, um, of course, uh, find my book, Grow Now, How to Save Our Health Communities and Planet One Garden at a Time. I worked so hard on this book, and it is more than a gardening book. It's truly a book that meets the subtitle and all of the um, bullet points you mentioned earlier for rewilding and, and going beyond organic supporting biodiversity with biodiversity. Uh, it, it goes into regenerative organics and how to grow a regenerative garden, whether you're growing food garden or a perennial garden or a flower garden, uh, which then feeds yourself and your community. Past that, oh, I have so many books I love. Um, one of the books that I, that I, this is sort of off topic, but sort of on your food topic that we were talking about before we got on, the, on our call on this conversation, um, is a book called The Dorito Effect, and it's written by an, um, a journalist. His name's Mark Schachter, and it came out several years ago. It was recommended to me by a friend, and it was instrumental to the writing of this of my book, Grow Now. And The Dorito Effect goes into uh, preservatives and processed foods and it might sound boring but he is such a great writer mark is an incredible writer every page i was laughing underlining phrases pithy segments information and it, he really helps connect the dots with food and our relationship with food and how that relationship has become broken with processed foods and not to beat ourselves up if we like doritos but to understand that doritos were a creation by someone who wanted to create a chip that tasted like a taco. And how can we get this chip that tastes like a taco, right, um, to, to taste that way? And all the artificial, artificial flavors that had to go into that. Well, what happens is, is that this, the, these types of processed foods trick our bodies and to think that we're eating a taco when we're not really eating a taco. So you're not getting the satiated feeling that you would get when you ate a taco. So you eat the entire bag of chips. And in the process, we've lost some of our nutritional wisdom of what's good for us. What am I craving right now? Well, I'm craving the bag of Doritos. Well, because they're somewhat addictive because of these flavorings that go into them. When we begin to eat real food and our body recognizes that, we begin to crave those real foods. And, and there's, there's science behind this. There's biology behind it. There's microbes behind it. The microbes in the soil are one of them, which I talk about and grow now. I mean, it gets like the layers of it are so cool. And you start to realize that 
okay, all this conversation I've been having about nature. It's like, well, it's because we are nature. Our bodies are more microbe than human. And we have more genetic microbial material in our bodies than we have human genes in our bodies. Uh, and when we create composts, we're interacting with those microbes that are in our bodies, but outside our, I mean, it's just, it's just phenomenal. And Mark Schachter in his book, he dives into this and he dives into nutritional wisdom. And so much of my work sort of in a nutshell, if, if listeners can really follow this thread, goes back to nutritional wisdom in the sense that we have nutritional wisdom that relates to nature. Like when you go into nature and you walk into a forest or wooded area and your body, your, your shoulders relax, one shoulder down, the other shoulder down, and you start to breathe a little more deeply and your, your heart rate decreases, that in itself is in some ways nutritional wisdom. Your body is responding to nature in a way that it really needs. And science shows us that, that spending 120 minutes a week or more in nature um, does all these things. But it's but but there's there's a biologic reason for that too, and Mark dives into that in this book. I I mean it's not a gardening book, but anyone interested in growing their own food and living a healthier life through growing some of your own food really needs to read this book because it's cool and it's fun and he's a great writer. I wish I could write like him. I I think I did a really good job with Grow Now, but he's incredible. Wow! All right, I can't wait to get that. I love that. 120 minutes or more in nature I feel like that would be a great way for parents or teachers to get gardens in the schools because well you know as well as I do our kids need it <laughs> they need um, it so much so yeah. much of it and that you know it's a great way to get you know nature and to kids who go to school in the city and just you know have blacktops for playgrounds and whatnot anyway Emily I gotta get moving so my final question if there's one change you would like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? I personally support the Xerces Society and the Pesticide Action Network. I love the Xerces Society project called um, Bee City USA. And there's other organizations that have projects like that where they're bringing uh, plants, opportunities for growing to communities. Uh, and with that, it might be food or food forests, places for um, communal places of, for food growing. Uh, but really bringing nature back into communities is uh, something I'm deeply passionate about right now. And, and food, food is nature right so food is part of that too it really depends on the, the community itself and how that a actually might look in the long run but those are two of the organizations i support um, most readily off the tip of my tongue but there's so many but those are some of the projects i admire perfect all right listeners make sure you go to pass the pistol p-i-s-t-i-l dot com get emily's book get her other book the girl what you love one check out her shop because she has the coolest t-shirts i love the one with the heart that says grow what you love you've got hats you've got tote bags you've got all sorts of cool things you get her book make sure you leave a five-star review on amazon so other people can read it and and share this message i know you have learned as much as i have today and thank you so much for sharing with us emily 
Thanks so much for having me, Jackie. I really appreciate it. It was wonderful talking with you. And um, I hope we can talk again sometime soon. Oh, me too. And maybe meet in person one of these days. I just, I feel like we have so much in common. It was so fun to talk with you. And I'm sorry, I got to go, but um, thank you so much. Yeah. All right. We'll talk, talk later. Thank you so much. Freegardencourse.com. Uh, Mike and I have developed some lessons to help you create your very own organic oasis. We'll guide you through the steps to build your perfect natural landscape, an edible earth-friendly yard, a sustainable deep bed garden, or even start a small profitable market farm. We'll show you how to save time, lower your produce bill, collect usable data, eat healthy nutritious food with minimal labor, um, use the most effective and efficient production methods currently being used in backyard gardens as well as market farms, and maybe even help you find some profitable markets. We've designed it to save you time, lower your produce bill, and help you eat healthy, nutritious food. Um, there's checklists, there's outside reading, video assignments. Uh, you can join the online Facebook community where there's lots of people from around the world to help you get your garden started today. So remember, freegardencourse.com. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening, and remember, grow local.